What do you want from your next role-playing campaign? Who will it engage and why? Have you considered how you want it to feel? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Che's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice Oh, 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 I think I need some good advice I need a roleplay rescue, oh yeah I need a roleplay rescue, oh yeah, oh yeah Hello Rescuers, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby One of the most overlooked aspects of running a role-playing games campaign is the question of what you and your players want from such a game. We tend to assume that other people come to the table for the same reasons that we do. We also tend towards diving in headfirst to getting a game up and running, keen to play, without considering how we want the game to feel. There's also a tendency not to consider the outcomes we might seek from a new campaign. And I'm not talking about the inevitable defeat of the big bad or returning home victorious from the quest. Over the past few years, I've had many conversations with fellow gamers and thought deeply about what it is that I want to offer at the table. And I think these issues are important and ultimately play the largest factor in whether a game can stand the test of time. This is Season 11, Episode 16 goals for engagement first of all people play games for many different reasons this is not a new idea being something under discussion since the mid-1970s in fanzines such as alarums and excursions picked up in in the 1980s and 1990s and written about by gaming luminaries such as robin d laws and monty cook Most of the models for the reasons people play games are based on research done in the computer games industry, a fact that is problematic when we consider that folk might play computer games for different reasons than they play role-playing games. But, well, it's kind of what we've got, and I personally think there are some useful things, some useful models, which fit our hobby better than most. According to the MDA design approach, there are eight types of fun, eight engagements that gamers, well, engage in. Challenge, discovery, expression, fantasy, fellowship, narrative, sense pleasure, submission. There's no point in asking people to tell you which engagements they prefer, because most people don't know. Some gamers haven't heard of these anyway, and many of them think it's a load of crap, and the remainder are probably not self-aware enough to know how to answer. I'm of the opinion that, as the creator of a role-playing games campaign, the first place to begin is with yourself, I mean, you need to look hard at how you play as a player and what your priorities as a GM are to see what evidence you have for each of these eight engagements. And from there, observe your players. Again, look at how they actually play, not how they tell you they want to play. Here are the basics on each of the eight engagements drawn from the Angry GM's own analysis available on his blog, and I'm grateful to him for providing these. Challenge. People who like challenge want to compete. They want a game they can win or lose, and they want it to be fair. Players who really get into action scenes and who care about how powerful their characters are usually like a challenge, as does any player who wants to win the adventure at any cost. 
discovery. People who like discovery want to explore the game and the world the game takes place in. They want to uncover all the secrets, explore every room, understand every system, and find every hidden treasure. Players who leave no stone unturned, who ask a lot of questions, and insist on visiting every room in the dungeon, they're in it for discovery. Expression. Players who want to express themselves want to show off their creative side. They like to create things that are unique to them and share them with others. Players who usually really get into character creation are probably expression lovers, especially if they like playing unique and unusual characters and writing elaborate backstories for them. If they focus on showing off their creative side, they are after expression. Fantasy. Fantasy lovers want to escape into another world. They want to be their characters and lose themselves in the imaginary world. Players who spend a lot of time interacting with the other characters in the world and like to play out the day-to-day routines in their characters' lives are likely fantasy seekers, especially if they want to act out every shopping trip. Fellowship. Fellowship is the engagement you feel when you're doing something with other people. Players who like fellowship are happy just being part of a group. In fact, they often seem like they aren't engaged with the game necessarily itself at all. And that's because they're just there to hang out with their friends. There's nothing wrong with that. Narrative. Narrative seekers love a good story. It's not about being part of the story, though. It's about the story itself. All the stuff that makes a movie good, well-written characters, understandable motivations, a solid beginning, an exciting climax, and a strong ending. And that's what they want in their game. Sense pleasure. Sense pleasure is the pleasure people get from seeing, hearing, and touching cool stuff. Art, miniature figures, maps, stuff like that. You know, the people who really get into the graphics and music in video games, they're after sense pleasure. And admittedly, sense pleasure doesn't play a big role in RPGs, but between the art and the maps and the figures and the dice, there is some, especially if you're playing on a VTT. But likely, players who are most interested in sense pleasure are watching movies or playing video games, not exploring your imaginary world but don't count on that. Submission. People who like submission like to lose themselves in mindless, repetitive things. They just want to shut their brains off for a while and relax. They're drawn to simple quests and dungeon crawls with lots of low-power mooks to moan down and lots of treasure to pile up. Basically, they want to keep it simple. So, those are the eight engagements. And for the GM, the trick is learning how to become an engaging host. Two things to say on this. First, if you have a pre-existing player group, especially if you want to keep playing with those people because they're your friends, then it's critical that you understand why those particular people play games so that you can tailor your game to your particular players. How? Well, first you have to figure out what the players want out of your game. And that means watching your players. What seems to get them most excited? What parts of the game do they really sit up and pay attention to? What game activities do they spend the most time on? This is kind of like a logic puzzle. Is the player who just goes with the flow more into submission or fellowship? Does the player who spends all their time talking to NPCs care more about discovery, fantasy or narrative? There's no simple test you can give your players. Don't try, trust me, I've done it. People don't know themselves very well. You're better off trusting what they do rather than what they say. You just have to be very observant and also consider that everybody at your table is different, unique. Second thing though, on the other hand, if you are starting cold, as so many of us do when we pitch a new game online and try to attract players to play online, it might be best to consider which engagements you want to hit and make sure you speak about this game in terms that will appeal to those players who are entertained the most by the things you want to offer. And that kind of brings me on to the biggest reason why offering an open table old school style sandbox fantasy genre game 
was a mouthful. Well, why that might be the most broadly engaging offer you can make online. As I spoke about in episode 4 of this season, original Dungeons & Dragons presented a set of rules for playing in the fantasy genre, albeit a more generously defined fantasy than we're perhaps used to from the halls of genre fiction 50 years later. The game showed us how to prepare and present a campaign of adventures in the mazy dungeons beneath the earth, pitting hapless adventurers against the dangers that lurk in the underdark. The game was also set up in a very open fashion, leading to the Alexandrian to coin the idea of an open table. Anyone could show up tonight to play, each group might have different characters, and the goal was to survive an expedition into the dungeon. Next time, you could play again or not, but the party composition would likely have changed. Thus, the original format of what would eventually become known as fantasy roleplaying was described thus. Adventures in a fantasy world, exploring underground dungeons, and played in a fluid style. It worked in 1974, is arguably the biggest reason why D&D took off, and has led the market for most of the past 50 years, and it's therefore worthy of your consideration as you return to play. It's my assertion that, aside from all the features that make for an open table being an easy route into the role-playing game scene, this particular approach to play is also the most broadly engaging choice when we examine the MDA design approach. Listen again to the eight engagements, what people want, and then consider how each is provided for in a typical classical open table fantasy dungeon game. Six of them really, really hit the spot. Challenge. People who like challenge want to compete. They want a game they can win or lose, and they want it to be fair. Players who really get into action scenes and who care how powerful their characters are usually like a challenge, as does any player who wants to win the adventure at any cost. Original D&D was exactly this, challenging. You began with a randomly determined nobody character and had to survive in the Underdark. Most first-level characters died ignominiously, and it was a challenge to get to level 2. Discovery. People who like Discovery want to explore the game and the world the game takes place in. They want to uncover all the secrets, explore every room, understand every system and find every hidden treasure. Players who leave no stone unturned, who ask a lot of questions and insist on visiting every room in the dungeon, they're in it for Discovery. Original D&D offered this in spades. You were exploring the mazy dungeons and making a map as you went. Players would need to poke their noses into pretty much every detail. The explorers would be engaged from the get-go, and the dungeon was, at least in the mega dungeon played back in the day, essentially unending. Expression. People who want to express themselves want to show off their creative side. They like to create things that are unique to them and share them with others. Players who really get into character creation are probably expression lovers, especially if they like playing unique and unusual characters and writing elaborate backstories for them. If they focus on showing off their creative side, they are after expression. Original D&D probably provided for this the least, unless you were the referee providing your vision of the world. But that said, you could take that randomly determined character and enjoy telling their story to the world. And I'm thinking of all those players over the years who've written up their sagas and poems about their endeavours in the underworld and shared them with the group. Fantasy. Fantasy lovers want to escape into another world. They want to be their characters and lose themselves in the imaginary world. Players who spend a lot of time interacting with the other characters in the world and like to play out the day-to-day routines in their characters' lives are likely fantasy seekers, especially if they want to act out every shopping trip. 
Original D&D offered a great deal of fantasy to these kinds of players. At the start of the hobby, anything was on the table. Most games included elements of high fantasy alongside science fantasy or even science fiction tropes, and many incredible monsters and magical abilities, and loads and loads of things that you could immerse yourself within inside the dungeon. As long as the rules got out of the way, the fantasy engagement was strong. It was the basis for Eisen's Vow and remains the goal around Otherworld Immersion. Fellowship Fellowship is engagement you feel when you're doing something with other people. Players who like fellowship are happy just being part of the group. In fact, they often seem like they aren't really engaged with the game itself at all. And that's because they're there to hang with their friends. Original D&D, like all role-playing games, offers this engagement because it is, by default, a group activity. Good social behaviours are rewarded, and it's a great way to spend time with friends. It's actually a collaborative game, far better than video gaming, especially if we're face-to-face. Narrative Narrative seekers seek a good story. It's not about being part of the story, though. It's about the story itself. All the stuff that makes a movie good, well-written characters, understandable motivations, a solid beginning, an exciting climax, and a strong ending. And that's what they want in their game. But here's the second weakest element in original D&D, largely because the old-school approach doesn't prioritise plot, but rather relies on emergent narrative. But that's the thing narrative seekers will look for. If you can emphasise the emerging narrative and give players meaningful ways to engage with motivated NPCs, factions, to move the game towards a sense of climax over the course of a campaign, well then you can appeal to the narrative gamers. Sense pleasure. Sense pleasure is the pleasure people get from seeing, hearing and touching cool stuff, art, miniature figures, maps, stuff like that. Admittedly, Sense Pleasure doesn't play a big role in RPGs, but between the art and the maps and the figures and the dice, there is some. I think running our games with miniatures and battle maps and tokens and VTTs, props and dice, all of this appeals to the sensual pleasure of play. I suspect that the trend towards using VTTs with battle maps and digital dice is all about scratching this particular itch. Original D&D encouraged the use of miniatures and dice despite what people might like to claim because it arose out of miniature wargaming. Many folk dropped this, but those who didn't were turning up for the sense pleasure. Submission. People who like submission like to lose themselves in mindless, repetitive things. They just want to shut their brains off for a little while and relax. They are drawn to simple quests and dungeon crawls with lots of low-power mooks to mow down and lots of treasure to pile up. Original D&D offered this engagement too. For those wanting less complex situations, the referee could throw out some goblins and let the submissive types mow them down. There's a time and a place for simple quests and low-power mooks. We know it's fun for many people, even if at least just some of the time. And that's a point worth making. None of us has just one of these engagements. All of these are on a spectrum. We will favour some, we will be less affected by others, we might enjoy all of them to some degree, but we're also probably most excited when one or two of these engagements show up. I'm realising more and more that the broadest offering I can give is a classic fantasy open table explorative game. You can offer a world map and send the player characters out to discover what's there, or you can offer a dungeon and send them delving to find treasure and mystery. We can do both. But offer an open table exploration game with a reasonably straightforward set of rules in a recognisably fantasy world and really bobs your auntie's living lover. Classic fantasy is popular because, in my view, it hits more of the engagements. But you can easily do it with science fiction too, as long as you learn the core lessons that Classic Traveller taught us back in 1977. Make it an open table, provide a nice space map to explore, populate it with varied, interesting places to go and delve around in, pay attention to the broadest selection of patron types you can offer, and I reckon you'll engage players just as effectively. 
The trick here is to offer a broadly appealing and friendly fellowship organised around exploration in a fantastic world. Allow the narrative to unfold and make sure you keep retelling the key elements of the story. Help the group to interpret the emerging tale. Allow space for people to express themselves in character, describing their antics in detail. Encourage the group to make maps and take notes because this engages the explorers. Get rules which offer a balance between ease of play, for those who don't care, and challenge for those who want to win. And don't be afraid to use some physical, tactile or visual elements at your table. That's the road towards engaging more people. Unless, of course, you have a different set of goals. Begin with the end in mind. That's the classic advice from Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it's a worthy piece of wisdom. Begin with the end in mind, or know what you want the outcome to look like. Covey's point of view is that all creation is made twice, first in the imagination of the creator, and then again in reality. If you don't know what you want, then you won't get what you want, not unless you happen upon it accidentally, which is really unlikely. In gaming terms, you need to consider if there's some specific engagement that you particularly want to reward, or a few of them. If, for example, you want a narrative game, then you need to direct your gaming attention towards this goal. If you have a specific emotional payoff that you're looking for, such as Otherworld Immersion for the fantasist or Victory for the challenge engagement, then you need to bend your intent to this goal. My personal preference is towards exploration. For this to pay off, I need to be willing to build a world worthy of exploration. To allow for greater otherworld immersion, I have experimented with bringing all the rules behind the screen and not even having traditional character sheets for players, but it really rewards the fantasists. And these approaches have worked for the smaller pool of players who want to experience them. Begin with the end in mind, but for heaven's sake, please publicly announce this goal, at least in broad terms, so that you can attract players who are interested in those goals. I'll mention again that if your goal is to play with a specific group of friends, then you need to know what they want and provide those engagements for them. The goal is to provide a fellowship offering for those people, and you better make sure you hit their engagements if you want to add value to the meeting of friends with a worthy game. Otherwise, don't run a game, do something else as fellowship. Because as I've found over the years, if you don't do that, then those people will stop wanting to come to your fellowship. But, as is increasingly more common, if you are trying to build a group, then find ways to advertise your offering using the language of engagement that you've specifically chosen. And no, don't make the mistake I've made of using the terminology from the NDA design approach or anything much like it. If it's a challenge game, talk up the opportunities to win. The campaign is about defeating the Dark Lord's minions and storming her stronghold in the mountains. If it's a narrative game, talk up the story stuff. How this is going to be a hero's tale, wherein a group of lowly peasants rise up against the Dark Lord and discover their true purpose in their epic quest towards restoring goodness to the realm. The trick is to begin with the outcome firmly in mind. Not the outcome of the plot, rather the outcome of the game, the emotional kicks, the purpose of it all, what you want the players to actually experience. And that's about all I've got to say on it. Just thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. As you know, I love to hear from you. So if you've got a question or comment, then please hop over to speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue where you can leave a 90-second message. And I've got a bunch of messages from a couple of our more avid listeners. So here we go. Take it away, chaps. Hey, Jay. It's Hobbs. Enjoyed your episode on uh, different settings and worlds. 
and good calling from Brian to get that conversation going. I've never been much for Glorantha, but I've never played RuneQuest. It was never really in our sights, except like in some White Dwarf magazines. We saw it, but beyond that, I know nothing about it, nothing about Glorantha. I do love the idea of Shamanic and just the tribal magic, so I would be all the way down for playing in a game like that. I just never have. I'd also love to play Tolis and Harn. I have done a little Harn with uh, Carl Rodriguez from the Indian Mountains back in the day. But uh, yeah, if you're going to run sometime in as other settings, I would say Midlands is super good by Pickpocket Press. And yeah, man, great show. Great to hear from you. And thank you so much for your RPG Voices uh, article. See you, bud. Hey, Che, it's Brian. Uh, it's been a while, but I am glad to hear that my question helped launch an entire episode, 13, on Fantasy Worlds. The good thing for me is these are three that I'm not very familiar with, I'd say. Harn, I'm not. I've heard about it, so it was good to learn a little bit more about it. Glorantha, I'm a bit more familiar with it, but we have yet to really get into any rune quest beyond some reading of the starter set materials and a bit of the solo adventure. And Talos. Talos is another one that I'm familiar with. And I'm now very interested if at some point you get the chance to talk about how you've played in it using the Cypher system. I know there's a, uh, I guess, an internet friend of mine, even though we grew up in the same area, who does a show and had talked about getting into Talos and basically using that as a way to give fifth edition a try again. He had tried before, was a little bit disheartened by it, but really wanted to run Talos and wanted to give it a shot with the 5e rules. And the the short answer is I think he really enjoyed Talos. It was so big and massive, but maybe not so much 5e. So I'm very interested to hear how running that, or really any uh, fantasy campaign with Cypher goes. It's just something that I haven't really gotten into. Thanks. Big thanks to Hobbs and obviously Brian and trying to answer Brian's question. Um, I've played a bit of Cypher System, although only really a couple of games with the fantasy side of things, although it plays as well as any other game as far as I can tell. What I like about Cypher System is that it's very easy for the GM to run. Um, you you know, very much the stuff's in the player's hands, and I think that that can be a real strength. With Talos, I went for the Cypher version largely because I much prefer that game system to 5th edition D&D. Um, not that I have any kind of hate for D&D 5th, but, you know, it's too much the regular kind of game for me. And I think with Cypher, you're just emphasizing a heck of a lot more the... Um, What's the word? It's really the sort of emergent play side of stuff that kind of comes out more strongly. I think the use of ciphers themselves, these kind of one-shot powers that characters get to use and then kind of they're gone, really sort of livens up the game in a way that sort of regular magic items don't necessarily. And I, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the way it plays. So that was why I opted that way. But I've got to be honest, I've not really played it. It's just kind of... One of those things I think is so well done that I wanted to talk about it some more. But anyway, thank you so much for that. And um, thanks to Hobbs as well for calling in. It's great always to hear from the Hobbs. And it's my pleasure to uh, provide something to your forthcoming project. Game on. Hey, Shay. Kevin calling in from the Red Cups podcast. Uh, really early into the episode here on Fantasy Worlds. And uh, I like the choices that you've made. Um, 
My question isn't so much which worlds you like or, or what the qualifications are for them to be in that in that category. Um, I'm sure I'll hear all that here as I finish up the episode. But my question is more: Why hasn't there been more words, words, more worlds created um, in the last twenty some odd years, where we've had you know mainstream internet access, we've had uh, collaboration tools uh, that have gotten better every single year. Um, we ha- we see open source projects everywhere. We know people can come together and work on things. Uh, I think Basic Fantasy RPG is a great example of you've got a group of people coming together to create a product. Um, I just don't know why we haven't had a massive generic fantasy world created, kind of you know, with contributors from all over the world, and um, you know, maybe something like Harn, but just done uh, in a in a more generic fantasy stand- standpoint or done completely open for everybody it's just it's interesting that it hasn't happened yet anyhow just uh just an idea bouncing around my head i'm gonna go back and finish listening to the episode game on hey kevin great here from you thanks so much for all you've been doing with the osr stuff over the last month or so as well i really enjoyed your show people should go and check out especially the interviews that he's been doing um some really great ones chris goneman um being probably one of my favorite chats that he had there um really good stuff I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here, and I think this is to do with engagement. I think the reason we aren't creating more and more fantasy worlds is because we are de-emphasizing the exploration and the fantasy elements of gaming in terms of engagement. I think in the last 20 years, there's been a rise in the focus on narrative. I think there's been a rise in the focus on challenge in gaming in a different area. I think that there's a lot of expression that's being emphasized in our gaming and obviously fellowship. Um, I think the VTT move has emphasized sense pleasure, but I think that's definitely being left behind at the moment is those of us who want to discover, who want to explore a game and a world that their game takes place in and want to uncover the secrets and explore. If you think about it, you've got GM guidance out there, which is all about improvisational approach to gaming. It's all about really just throw out some quick locations, which are a complete backdrop to the action of the characters. We've got a style of play, which is about characters first and what they're doing being the center of all of the attention rather than it being about a world to explore and then when it comes to the fantasy lovers who want to escape into that world and get into the other world immersion and really delve in i don't think that a lot of gamers out there the regular kind of game is patient enough for those people i think that you know what's being emphasized there isn't the the world itself and the kind of the detail of it and the reality, sense of reality of it, if you like, the sense of you know, verisimilitude, I think what's been emphasized is narrative all the time, this idea that we've got to have a good story and it's got to have a good climax and all of that stuff. And I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I just think that we are de-emphasizing two of the eight engagements. And I think they're two of the eight engagements which role-playing games particularly deliver on well in a way that computer games don't. Um, but that's just my, my 10 cents. I honestly believe that... Um, you know, one of the reasons why there hasn't been this big collaborative effort is because most people don't see the need for it. That actually, I can pick up a scenario and run it. I can just there's a lot of one shotting going on. You know, there's not necessarily the patience or taste for this longer game. But I could be wrong. It's just my gut feeling. That's my initial reaction to that question. And I thank you for it. Um, hope that sheds some light. Game on, brother. Hey, Jay, Jason here. Just want to say that I enjoyed episode 1115. I think those are some pretty great things that you outlined. And I, I think you 
outlined why playing a game in the modern world is not as hard as people may think. I, I know a lot of people game to escape the modern world, so I can totally appreciate that. Um, but anyway, also great to hear about the school club. I look forward to hearing how it goes. I'm sure it'll be fine. Take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you soon. Aloha, Che. It's Brian calling from down here in the Queensland. Just finished listening to episode 15 and greatly appreciated that you took the time to circle back based on Jason's question to talk about some modern and science fiction worlds. A few thoughts I had. I've always been more drawn to science fiction, media, and literature. Maybe not always, but I'd say probably, you know, recently and even as I got older, probably from about late high school, university age. So it's been my preferred genre over, say, fantasy. But in terms of games, with the exception of Star Frontiers, way back when, never really been a part of any science fiction games for any length of time. And I, I think you've talked before, and I have my own thoughts as well, as why sometimes it's hard to get into science fiction games or to do it well. So, you know, with that said, I'm, I was happy just to hear about some of the worlds you highlighted, in particular, Numenera. <laughs> and this is one that I got the PDFs through some great bundle. I think it was the Discovery Destiny. Very intrigued by the world. I think it's really well fleshed out, eager for the system, but haven't sat down to play it yet. So it's on my list. And that maybe that's one that might kind of scratch the itch. Thanks, man. Big thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Please stay through to the end of the theme music because there is one little extra message from Brian to listen to. But thanks to Hobbs from Hobbs and Friends plus Random Screed, to Brian from I'll Have to Look That Up, to Kevin from the Red Caps podcast, and to Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast for all the call-ins today. Thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue, and to John from Tale of the Manticore for the show music. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Remember, know your goals. Begin with the end in mind. Let's engage. Game on. It's Brian again. One last comment on 15 and specifically on your update for the school club. From my perspective, it's absolutely my pleasure to be a patron and help provide funds that get gaming materials to kids. I would still be a patron, even if this was not included. I mean, I understand, you know, with the amount of content you put out, just the cost to help offset your, you know, the hosting, microphones, recording, etc. But this to me is such, it's, it's above and beyond and such a great benefit that, you know, the small amount that I and the others pay actually results in getting game materials to kids. So yeah, very well done. Please let me know. Uh, you can, you know, send a message or post something to Discord. If there's something above and beyond 
that the kids may want, especially if they're interested in something and it kind of goes beyond the funds. I'm always happy to, to try to help out from a distance. This is something that's near and dear to me as I keep, keep my son engaged and uh, still kind of looking to get a, a decent kids group off the ground here as we've had a couple, but it's just been uh, busy lately. So I will definitely do what I can and, and appreciate also any updates because yeah, as you've said with both BX and some of the 5e and now basic fantasy gives me plenty of ideas for, for uh, the someday group here. Cheers, man.